Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Before uh, we start our message, I'm going to do something different today, something a little uh, unusual. I think, I think we all know, just if you, you uh, look around, that um, Levine is a community that is a very vibrant, multi-ethnic community. South Phoenix, the same, and those are the communities which we reach out to. So we have to be doubly saddened, triply saddened, I don't know what the number is to put on it, when, when we hear what happened at Emmanuel Church in, in Charleston, South Carolina this past week. And I, I want to start out just for praying for, for that church, for healing for that church. And, and as I mentioned in the baptism, I, I'd like us to even do something stranger than that and, and pray for Dylan Paul that somehow Christ would touch that young man's heart and heal his anger and his bitterness that he's got in his heart. It's tempting, as I said in the baptism, to, to say there are some people that are extremely much more evil than others, but the reality is we all need forgiveness of sins, and we all need these prayers. Um, but we are blessed to be a church where people from very many different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, come together and team up for the cause of Christ with, with the cross in the middle. And I feel so blessed, and I know Pastor Dan does too, to lead a church like this. And so I, I just want to start this morning and, and pray for that, for that church. I'd also like to pray for the 22 teens and the, the five adults that we have trekking all the way across. They've arrived safely in Texas for teen camp. And uh, so let's start with a prayer. Father in heaven, our our hearts are devastated and hurting for for the people in Charleston, South Carolina, for the the members of uh, Emmanuel Church. Lord, uh, we we pray that you would send your your spirit, a spirit of, uh, of peace and comfort, as Jesus said, into the hearts of the people of that church and, and bring healing there. Lord, we pray that they would respond to this uh, as they appear to already be doing with love. This morning they will go back or already have gone back into that facility to worship and I'm sure there are gonna be some difficult moments but we ask you to be with them. Lord, I, I want also to, uh, to pray for the teens that have cross the country practically to go to eastern Texas to be in a Christian teen camp and, and, um, and explore God's word and make new friends, Christian friends, uh, 22 of them from, from Crosswalk, five adults who are chaperoning them, keep them safe, help them to grow in their faith this week. Lord, I know how, um, how important summer camp can be after all. Um, as I'll say in just a moment, Lord, and you know already, uh, that's, that's where I uh, found my wife, was at a, a Christian summer camp. So, so Lord, I just pray that you will, you will be with them. Lord, be with this church, Crosswalk Church, here in South Phoenix and Levine. And help us to continue to have a spirit of unity and oneness built around the cross of Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for letting me just take a moment and, and pausing. I have some other news too that I want to share with you. Uh, news that I've really only shared with the board of directors yesterday. Um, on, on Thursday, um, my wife, Julie, as I mentioned, we met many, many, many years ago uh, at, a, at a Lutheran summer camp up in Prescott. Um, and this is difficult, but she left me. Uh, she, took our, she took our daughter and um, got in the car and just left. Um, granted, it's a business trip, uh, and she'll be back today. But this has not been an easy couple of days for me. I've been having to prepare my own meals and uh, keep the house clean. And, you know, when we do the yard, usually she's out there to help me with the little things like the weed eater and stuff. Well, I, I had to do all of that this week, all like by myself. So I, I hope that today, if you could just, you know, on the patio, a little extra understanding with me and, and patience um, if I'm not quite myself, because honestly, I'm not quite myself. Now, there's a reason I'm mentioning that, beyond just the fact that I'm hopelessly in love with my wife and uh, hopelessly in need of her. Um, and that is most of us are hopelessly in need of something in our life to prove to ourselves that we've succeeded. And it's different for everybody. Um, something that I've always wanted to have because I, 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 I didn't have it as a child, and I've shared that whole story with you before, is a solid family. I, I used to... To, to watch television shows when I was eight, nine, ten years old and think to myself, why can't my family look, you know, like the Cleaver family? And then I realized, of course, no family looks exactly like the Cleaver family anyway, but it just seemed like something that if I could have that, if God would bless me with that, uh, it, would be, it would be just awesome and a, and a sign that I had succeeded in life. I've learned since then as a husband and a dad, it's not just quite that easy to have a family like that. But with a lot of hard work, and especially with the Lord's blessing, you can come closer than you would have otherwise. You know, I, I heard just yesterday that fathers today spend three times more time with their children than fathers did 50 years ago? Isn't that an amazing statistic? This person, this expert who studies families is saying that actually one of the big signs for young men today that they have succeeded in life is being a great dad. And how awesome that today on Father's Day we could be talking about success and fatherhood in the, in the same sentence. Because let's be honest, that's, that's not the typical definition of, of success. A lot of times in our, in our world today, we, we measure success by what we here at Crosswalk like to t call the five Ps. Do you remember what they are? 
How much power do I have? How much prestige do I have? What's my position in life? How many possessions do I own? What's my popularity factor? That popularity one's going to come in big today in our, in our text as we talk about David and, and King Saul. And now, apparently, we can add a, a sixth P. What's my paternity rating? How am I as a dad? I want to start today by saying this is what makes it so tough to define success because it's measured by so many different things. I just reeled off six of them without any trouble. And then it's complicated by, by this, that even if we could identify the five or six things very solidly that are what success is, how much is enough? How much power do I need to be successful? How many possessions before I, I can look to my God or look to my neighbors or look to my wife or my family and say, you know, we, we have enough that we have surpassed the line of success because we have X number of possessions. And you can, you can reel right down that line of P words, right on down to paternity. Three times more today Fathers spend with their children than they did 50 years ago. Does that mean the dads of 50 years ago were total losers? How much is enough? And, and no one can really come up with a great answer to that question. So I'm just closing my Bible because that's it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, God is going to give us, I think, a pretty solid definition of success, but it's, it's not going to be involving any of the five or six Ps that I just talked about. It's going to involve something completely different, and I'm going to leave it hang there for a little bit because I want you to still listen so that by the end of this, maybe we have changed your ideas and your thoughts. And can I tell you this? If you will listen today and redefine success the way God defines success, I, I promise that if you do that in your heart and your mind and then you begin to do it in your life, it's completely transformational. It, it can completely change everything for you. Because whether we know it or not, our culture with all those five or six keywords that determine success has influenced us and has defined success for us. But if they have not defined success for us correctly, we're chasing our tail. We're completely chasing our tail. And what God wants to give us this morning is a new definition of success that if we pursue that, we can actually be successful, not only in our own eyes, but in God's eyes. And that's why this message is so important. And dads, dads especially today, I hope you hear this message loud and clear. But moms need it too. Kids need it too. So let's dive in. Look at what God promises. Proverbs 
He, this is God, if you want to write God next to the word he, he holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. What an awesome promise. God, God wants us to have success. And sometimes in the Christian church, this word success, because it is so hard to define and, and, and put your finger on, it, it has become almost a bad word. But look, right there in the Bible, and this is what I want to start this message with, God wants you to have success. He wants you to be successful according to the definition that he's going to lay out for us this morning. But there's a challenging question, that, the question that, that, that we opened this message with. So I want you to fill this in. The challenging question is, what defines success? And, and we, could, we could add some follow-up questions to that. Not only what defines success, but is visible success really success. If you go through those P words, power, possessions, position, etc., a lot of that is because there, there could be measurables involved, and we could, we could see there, there can be concrete things that we can measure success by. So we need to ask ourselves, is visible, measurable, tangible success really success? And then the last question is, Fast forward. Put yourself at the end of your life. Looking back on all that's happened to you, all you've accomplished, all that you've experienced. And the question I want you to ask yourself as we dive into this message today is, how will you know you've been successful with your life? I hope today's message can, can help you with that. We're following up on David's battle with Goliath, which Pastor Dan shared with us so beautifully last week. And, and man, David goes into a period after he brings Goliath down where he is, by every visible, measurable measure, every tangible evidence, he is successful. Let's take a look. 1 Samuel 18, 1-4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and, and did not let him return home to his family. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now, Jonathan, just so you have the cast of characters here, is the son of the king. The current king is Saul. We all know that David will one day be the king of Israel, or most of us know that. And, and so he's not yet. This is just at the beginning. He's a young man. And there's another young man named Jonathan, the son of the king, who becomes a very, very tight friend of David. In fact, in all of the Bible, when, when you think about friendship, this friendship between Jonathan and David is a, an amazing friendship, one that we can all emulate and learn from. And Jonathan made a, a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Notice that. that that's so important in a friendship. When you love someone as a friend, 
and take their interests to heart just as much as you take your own interests to heart. I often say as a counselor in marriages, and, and remember marriages are, are meant to be best friend, friendships too, that when the husband wants his wife to have her win, her win, to be successful as much as he wants his own win and his own success, when the husband leads that way, that marriage is, is going to be transformed by that husband's desire to want his wife to always get her win as much as he wants his own win. And it works in reverse. Does the wife want her husband to have his win as much as her own win? And when you get two people who are married, who both are, are, are looking out for the other to have, look, I want you to succeed. I want you to, to get your win. And even when you get involved in an argument or a disagreement, you step back from that and you go, I, I want her, I want him to feel good about the outcome of this argument, just like I want to feel good about the outcome of this argument, this disagreement. And you get two people who are like that, that's going to be an enduring marriage. This was an enduring friendship between David and Jonathan because that's the attitude that they had. They cared as much, if not more, about the other than they did about themselves. And that's why Jonathan made a covenant and agreement with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. David is actively sending a message here. I'm sorry, Jonathan is actively sending a message here. When, when Jonathan removes these articles of his, his clothing and his weapons and gives them to David, do you know what he's saying to David? Something amazing. David, he's saying, I know I'm in line to be the next king because Saul is my dad. But I also know that God wants you to be king. And God is God. And as much as my dad wants to be king, as much as I would love to be the next king, I know it's God's plan and God's design for you to be king. So here. And, and, and in essence, he takes his mantle and puts it on David. What an amazing, humble act of a friend. One of the most visible signs of success in today's world, it was in David's world too is when you feel like you are loved by all the right people. Like the right people love me. And, and you feel affirmed by that love. That's what's happening to David after he defeats Goliath. Is the son of the king is demonstrating this deep covenantal friendship. And as we're going to hear in just a moment, the crowds are loving him right now. So from a visible point of view, from a popularity standpoint, David is winning. So I want you to write this down. David experienced the visible success of being loved and admired by all the right people. And then we see another visible sign of success as we read on. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Notice, again, David is loved. 
all the officers, everyone's loving this guy. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres, loved by all the right people. All the ladies love him too. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Wonderful. (laughs) People are just admiring him, trying to still respect Saul, putting him first. Saul's killed his thousands. And of course, this is hyperbole. At this point, David hasn't literally actually killed tens of thousands of people. He's killed Goliath at this point. But the women, in their dance and in their song, they praise David and show how much they they appreciate what he's done. He's admired and loved by all the right people. But there's something else we can learn about this because in a moment we're going to read that Saul becomes jealous because of this song. He gets angry and frustrated. And Saul was no dummy. Saul, there's a reason Saul doesn't stay king. But it's not because he wasn't smart. Saul knows something that I I hope you know. Saul realizes that language shapes things. I want you to write that down somewhere because dads, I want to talk to you for a moment. And I'm, I'm going to confess to you guys that as a younger dad, I was not careful enough about this. Because I, I didn't realize how much my words and my language would shape the hearts and minds of my kids. I mean, I, I knew it. I've shared with you guys that I, I, uh, I struggle with a, a, a bad temper when I was younger and maybe a little bit still to this day. But what we say begins to shape our relationships. The words that come out of our mouths can, can not only shape a friendship, a marriage, uh, a, a parent relationship, a child to a parent relationship. Saul sees that it can, it can shape an entire kingdom. The, the words that these songs are saying, Saul's jealous for a good reason. If that keeps up, he knows what's going to happen to his popularity rating and, and very likely what's going to happen to his throne. I think it's so important for us to understand that, that language shapes things. And, and, and here's the thing, when we are experiencing a lot of success, if we run off a, a reel of successful moves, if we, if we feel like we can't make a wrong move, we're going to get the praise. We're going to get the accolades. And that can shape us too. In fact, it can, it can shape us sometimes in a very ugly way as our heart and our mind begin to, to fill with pride and think that we're the one that produced that. We're the one that did that. And so even for David, these words could have been a trap and a snare to him because David is going through another very important sign of visible success right now, isn't he? He can't make a wrong move. 
This guy is King Midas. Everything he touches turns to gold in this moment. And I want you to write that down. It's another sign that David is being visibly successful. David experienced the visible success of a, of a season when he couldn't make a wrong move. Everything he touched turned to gold. I think most of us, when, when we go through a run like that in our lives, it, it feels pretty good. But we have to be careful when we start to hear the language around us. And guess what? It isn't going to be all accolades either. Take a look at what happens next. Saul was very angry. He was jealous of David's success and of this song that the women were singing. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. Notice he's not saying this out loud. Why is he not saying it out loud? He knows. He knows that sin is grabbing hold of his heart. So he... He's saying these things in his own thought and mind. But make no mistake, those words, that inner voice, that's shaping Saul too. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye. That was not a close caring eye, by the way. It was a close fearful eye, a close jealous eye on David. Flip the page. This is, in, in this text, the third sign that David is becoming visibly successful because this is what will happen when a person is visibly successful. Write this down. David experienced one of the most certain signs of visible success. Certain people were threatened by his success. If you've ever gone through this where you've had a string of successes and everything you've touched has turned to gold, people are going to come at you because they're threatened and they're jealous of the success that for a season you're experiencing. And, and we need to be prepared for that. We need to be ready for that because it can hurt. Here's the thing. It's, it's not always people... Either that you don't know very well. Look, Saul invited David into his own house. David becomes a musician that is playing his lyre for Saul. He's hanging out with Saul all the time. Jonathan, his son, has made David his best friend. And that's the way it can be with us too. People that we think are our, our biggest supporters our closest family members, our fellow Christ followers, they too can experience jealousy the way Saul did and be threatened. And I will tell you, when that happens, when people that, you are, that are near and dear to your heart feel threatened by you, man, nothing hurts more. Be ready for it if you ever go through a run of success. We should know that David's run of success doesn't last for his entire life. And here's why it's important to say this. Do you know what this series is about? In one word, this entire teaching series in one word, do you know what it's about? Are you thinking David? 
I want to give you a different word. This entire preaching series is about Jesus. That's what this teaching series is about, not David. Because David was a sinner just like you and me. We're going to see him fall massively from his success perch. And and we're going to see him fall not just massively, but repeatedly as we continue down. So to make David our hero, huge mistake. We can learn some things because David was a man after God's own heart, but let us, well, we've had these series for, for summer upon summer. We've talked about Moses and Elijah. Never once were those men the hero. They can't be. Remember what we said in the baptism? Remember what I said from the stage? All of us wear the black hat. We're all capable of any sin at any time. I don't know if you believe that, but trust me, if, if, if the right circumstances cook together and, and, and sin begins to, to, to cook up in your heart the way it is in Saul's, you and I are capable of anything and not anything good. That's not what I'm talking about at this, at this moment. I think we are, with God's help, capable of anything good. But what I'm talking about right now is we're capable, each of us, of anything evil. David has a, has a hard fall. And what's important for us to remember is what the band sang about. You see, at the end of the day, this series is about Jesus because Jesus is the one and only flawless one who was loving and generous enough to go all the way to the cross and then rise from the tomb and leave it empty so that he could share his flawlessness with each of us. And, and, and this goes to the definition of success, God's definition of success. You can't be successful with God on your own. There is only one way to be successful with God, and that is through Christ. That is through his cross and his empty tomb, through his righteousness that that he weaved together. Jonathan took off a robe as a friend to David and gave it to him. Jesus, as your friend, took off his robe of righteousness and said, I want you to, to take my robe. I want you to take my sword, which is the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the gospel. I want you to take that and take it home to your own heart. Because that's what success is in the kingdom of God. Write this down. David's story is not one of constant, uninterrupted, visible success. He also experienced his share of momentous and highly visible failures. Just one of those is in the verse right above that. Then Nathan said to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? What David had done is stolen his best friend's wife, one of his best friends, a man named Uriah, who was one of his 30 mighty men, his, his inner circle. David, while this man is out to war fighting for him, steals his wife. There's a massive cover-up. We're going to go into that story. I'm not going to go into, go into it today. My point is, this series is not about David, it's about Jesus. And we need it to be about Jesus. So what can we learn from this? I'm going to sum up rather quickly. Here's here's what we can learn about how to define success. 
Saul was afraid of David. Why was Saul afraid of David? Take a careful look at those words, will you? Because. I want you to circle that word because this is so important. Circle because. Because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. I'm going to lay it on you now. You've been waiting for it. What is God's definition of success? God's definition of success is simple. It is knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt in the ups of life, the successes, in the downs of life, the failures, that God is with you. It is having a solid sense, a confidence, always that God is with you, with me, with us. That is so important. Because guess what? Life is going to have its ups and downs, its visible successes and failures. But to know whether you're up here or down here, God is still with me. And how do you know that? How can you know that? Well, let me say this. It's, it, there's an element of it that is subjective, But the most important is not that subjective sense that you have in your heart and mind that God is with you. The most important element is, is very objective. And, and you can doubt it or, or you can be confident in it, but it's true nevertheless. It is to believe Jesus' promise when he left the disciples. And what did he say to them as just before he ascends? He says, and I will be with you Say it louder. Until the very end of the age. That's Jesus' promise. And, and he repeats it in all kinds of different ways. Wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of you. Again and again and again. Read the Old Testament, read the New Testament. And, and, and God is constantly doing what a, a loving dad or a loving mom does when their child is afraid. I'm right here. I've never left. That's what God is saying to you. Whether you're down, extremely down, or whether you're up and you need to worry about how the praise is, is mangling your brain right now with pride, here's how that God is with me is so important. If you're up here and you're, you're enjoying the run of success like David was, what do you say to yourself? It's all God. God's doing it. Thank you, God, for working through me, for using me, but it's not me, really. It's you, God. Thank you. And if you're down here and you're tempted to say, man, God has left the building. God, a loving God would never treat me this way. He would never do this to me. What do you say to yourself? I'm still okay because God made a promise that he would never leave me or forsake me. That he would be with me always to the very end of the age. And I believe that promise is true, 
even though it doesn't feel like it right now, even though the circumstances aren't necessarily like shouting it to me right now, nevertheless, it's still true because God said it and he promised it. He's with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. The Lord was with David. Write this down. David knew the definition of true success. God is with me. And that definition of success would carry David through the rest of his life. When he sinned, he would say, Jesus, you are with me. Take my sins away. Forgive them. Remove my guilt. Psalm 51. Write that down. It's a beautiful prayer of David where he asks for forgiveness. When he was successful, he gave all credit to God who was with him. You see, here's the thing. You can be successful all the time, but it matters who defines that word success. If we let our culture define the word success, if we want to define it according to the the five or six Ps, we're going to be so chasing our tail. But if God defines success and he, he reminds us really success is just knowing confidently that I have promised to be with you, to never leave you or forsake you. I want you to write that down because I want you to ask yourself this question. Who are you going to allow to define success for you? That makes all the difference. Uh, In today's world, God is still speaking to us through this book and he is defining success for us through this book. Will we listen to it? Will we cut it into little pieces and put our own cultural definitions of success alongside of it? Or will we simply accept that what God says in here is true and his definition of success, that he is with us, is true? How do we know that David defined it that way? You know, I, you look throughout all the Bible And great men of God everywhere defined it that way. Think about the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. I know what it is to be in plenty and in want. I've been up, I've been down, he says, Philippians 4. And how does he end it? But this is what I know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's with me. He'll strengthen me. Therefore, I'm content, he says, in every situation and circumstance because God is with me. Look at David. This is his most famous psalm, Psalm 23. And and do you know what the key message of Psalm 23 is? Not funeral. The key message of Psalm 23 is God's with me. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. 
I, I don't know if you right now are experiencing a, a run of success. If you're, you're like David was in these early days, you're King Midas himself. Everything you're touching is turned to gold right now. You're, you're, you're seeing all those visible signs. The people love you. Um, you just can't seem to make a wrong move. All those things that we talked about that David was going through for a season. For a season. Maybe you're on the opposite end. And everything you touch turns to dust, not gold. And everything that you, you try to do just seems to be a big, fat failure. I, I want to revolutionize your heart and your mind. God wants to revolutionize your heart and your mind. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, are you confident God is with you? That he will never leave you nor forsake you? That his promises to you are real and they are true? If you believe that, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the tomb so that he could be with you to the very end of the age, then no matter what your life circumstances are, you can be content like Paul. You can say with David, God is with me, and that's the true measure of success. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, this is a struggle that we all go through, and part of it is the, that, that words do shape us, and the words of our culture shape us. And, and we're so tempted at times, Lord, to, to let power and prestige and possessions and position and popularity drive themselves into our heads and chase our tails. Lord, we are sinful, and we need your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness, and we're confident that we have it in Jesus. Lord, help us to stop chasing our tail with that little word success in our mind, and instead realize we're already successful because of Jesus. Because you are with us, and we are confident you will never leave us or forsake us. And that is exactly what being successful is. Lord, make every heart and mind in this room confident that you love them, and therefore they are successful right here, right now, today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let's face it, it's life. A lot of things are going to leave us. Husbands are going to leave. Wives are going to leave. Children are going to leave. Power, possessions, they can leave. There's only one thing that's promised us he will never leave us or forsake us. And, and that's our God. That's Jesus. It's why he went to the cross for you and for me. I want you to transform your definition of success coming out of this message. God is with you. He promises to be with you. And he will never leave you or forsake, forsake you. What could be more success than that? The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week. Turn to somebody and say, man, you are successful today. <laughs>